Yes, as part of this weekend's broadcast coming from uh, Quinn, myself and Jennifer are delighted to be joined uh, on the programme by John Conroy, who I have to say has had a, a fascinating life. Uh, being involved in sports from a young age meant that 15 years' experience as a GAA coach would allow him to coach Dora Bearfield Ladies and Michael Cusick's clubs to championship. And uh, if that's not all, from uh, 2017 to 2023, John led 40 volunteers to Uganda benefiting Hospice Jinja and is here to chat to us about all of that and much more. So, John, good morning to you. Morning, Dara. You're very welcome to Thank Quinn. You. Um, can we start first of all? Um, you you're a founder of Fitness for 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 Fun uh, in North Clare. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How that all started? Yeah, I started there back in two thousand and fourteen. I went back to college in Newell and did a course on exercise, health, and fitness, and then I set up Fitness for Fun with the aim of introducing physical activity to people who are retired. Anybody 50, 55, 60, all the way up along, and started out on a small scale, and now there's 13, 14 groups throughout the county. So it's mostly what I do is like Queen here, which is community centre every Monday at half 11. People come in, do their exercise, and they head back home. Mm -hmm. They're all community based centres and, and GA clubs. That's where most of the classes are, are hosted. And I have to say, you've had a huge interest in sport all your life, really, because as I said in my introduction, uh, 15 years experience working as a GA coach, uh, this meant that uh, you you trained the Dora Bearfield ladies and Michael Cusick's. Yeah, I would have played at my own home club as Michael Cusick's, which is in North Clare. Yes. So Karen, is it? Yeah, Karen yeah. Key that would comprise Michael Cusick's. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we would have played, yeah, would have contested a lot of intermediate fans without, without winning any. <laughs> <laughs> well done anyway for getting there <laughs> um, so I suppose moving on then you um, you, act as, you acted as race organiser for the very popular and, I, and I've, I've, I've done it a couple of times the Hurley High 10 kilometre run and walk raising 110,000 euros for local charities that's phenomenal yeah there's huge support from all the local people in the local communities yeah started I think I ran for maybe five or six years and in the first year we had it was about two and a half or three thousand people. It was a ten k run, and then it evolved, and we introduced a cycle event to coincide with the run. And can you remind her? Can you just give a a, 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 a brief background as to the to the run itself? Where does it take place, and is there different routes every year? Yeah, it's it starts in Gorchin, which is the home of Durbarfield GA grounds, and it came out onto the main road. That's what what's called Lynch's Cross. Okay. Took a right, ran down by Dura Church, up the back of Dura Church, and back down around again. Ten Carew. It's no longer. We just ran it for about five or six years. And was that stopped because of COVID? Now or no? It was just the family's wish, mm. and, and sometimes the runs have a, have a life of a lifetime themselves as well. And can I just ask what what inspired you to create these runs? There was two families. Uh, one family was called Harley, and the other Hoey. And both families lost their family members. Oh, okay. So the run was ran to have it as a memorial, memorial for both people. And then the aim was to support local charities then. So yeah. every year then there was two charities chosen, yeah. two local. And they benefited then from yeah. the proceeds of the money. And then obviously you are very busy and very inspired and ambitious. So I, what led you then on to Uganda? So Uganda... My first trip into Africa was 2007. I went to Tanzania, so I spent a good month there. 
And then 2008, I went to West Africa, to Ghana, who was the capital, Accra. <coughs> and both places I went was sports development. So it was based with schools and just introducing sports activities with the kids. And then 2009, I got in contact with Frank and Patricia Hassett, who are from Spansett Hill. And they had set up Hospice Genja in 2005. And they said, look, if you want to come over, you can help out. So I went over in 2009 and spent about two months. And then every year I would return back. And then in about 2017, then started bringing people from the area over. Wow. So yeah. people would come. So everybody would pay your own cost, mm. pay your own expenses. And people would get involved in doing some fundraising. Nice. So there's two charities. One is the one there that Dara mentioned, Hospice Ginger. And the other one then is South Park. So the Hospice Ginger deals with, with health. And software then deals with education. And that's in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, they're yeah. from the UK, yeah. but they're based over in, in Uganda. In Uganda. Uganda yeah. So both charities, they're all, they've all local staff. So the hospice now started off when Frank and Patricia there started off really small innings. It was about three or four, now there's 35 staff. Mm. Okay. The, the other one, the software, that's about 29, I think. And they're all local based. They're all that's local. amazing. And so how many people have you brought over with you? 40, now it's 44. Wow, congratulations. And what have their experiences been when they've gone over? What were their expectations before they went? And then what did they do once they got there? Yeah, they were nearly all the people that came over, it was their first time going to Africa. Mm. So going to another continent, really going out into the, into the unknown in so many ways. So the activities involved would be, one would be helping out the hospice. The other would be with the schools. So that may involve painting schools. Mm. It may involve helping with the teachers in the classroom, doing sports activities, and then do special needs schools as well. And the special needs schools then would be doing different games and activities there. And nice. then we're involved in the renovation of, of one of the a therapy room. Mm. There's a therapy room there, and it was gone into disrepair. So we painted that, renovated, and set up a sensory room. And then in the, there's two dorm rooms then with the sensory room. We put in new beds, new ceilings, new flooring, new doors, and painted renovators. That would be involved with that. The hospice then is it's very different to hospice here. A hospice here, patients go to the hospice. Sure, yeah. There, yeah. the hospice goes to the patients. So it does its four jeeps, and the team of doctors go out every day, mm. and they administer palliative care to people. Now, often the time when it gets to people, it's at end stage. So people don't realise they have cancer, they don't realise they have tumours. And they're oftentimes at a very advanced stage. They're quite large. Mm. They're often they're quite smelly. Yeah. Um, so even the last five years, there's been a 200% increase in the demand of the service. Okay. Because the numbers have gone up really high. So the, the area the hospice covers is 4 million people. Wow. So it's, it's, it's start, the town it's based in is Jinja, which is about 100,000 people. Okay. But then it moves out into the very rural areas. Yeah. So they, the areas are very rural, very isolated. Mm. The jeeps go on a lot. The roads aren't roads, they're dirt tracks. They head off into the little villages. And Then as time went on, the hospice looked at it as, as a holistic view. So if someone from the family has got cancer, it impacts the whole family. Mm. So it introduced paying for certain cases, school fees, and it brought in um, kind of a food parcel. So kg of sugar, kg of rice, and kg of beans. And a bar of soap mm. that was given to special families as well. Then it was involved in some house renovations. Some of the houses would be in total disrepair. Mm. So obviously, if a patient is sick, they can't contribute to an income. They can't work, and um, yeah. So those and then 
mattresses were brought in as well for certain cases because the housing conditions are really poor. Mm. They're like mud huts, a lot of them. Yeah. So they wouldn't have floors in the ground. They'd be just sleeping on the ground. Oh my God, yeah. Hospitals brought in mattresses then. So the dying people then were able to have a little bit of dignity in their, their dying days. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah, that's the... That's just the reality of an undeveloped world. Yeah. The model that the Hassas brought in was a fantastic model. It's a really very good model. It's very efficient. It's, it's getting to the needs of, of the patients. And a big obstacle then with, with a lot of the people is a lot of people aren't educated. So trying to convince them to take the medication. Mm. And a lot of people go for witchcraft. They believe in herbs, maybe, as opposed to taking medication. Yeah. That's a challenge in itself as well. Can, can I, so I just wanted to ask, obviously, like, if you've brought people over with you, that couldn't have happened during, like, 2020 and 2021. So how did the, how were the services able to continue on during COVID, or were they as, like, did things really shut down during COVID over there? They, yeah, there was a huge impact on the education system. So Uganda had the longest-running school closure in the world when COVID was on. Schools were closed for the best part of two years. Wow. Okay. So that had, had a massive impact on, on the education system over there. Now, the, the hospice were, were lucky enough. They were managed. They were able to continue the services. So we go over for the summer, and even though, even though we, we were there for that certain time, both charities continue on throughout the year. Mm. And there's, there's two people this year, and they came over. One is Enda Collins from Kilinena. That's right, yeah. Enda's yeah. involved in a, a big relegation match at one o'clock today. <laughs> yes. And Michelle McNamara is busy with Scarf. <laughs> yeah. So Michelle is on at four o'clock today as well. Yeah. So both of those were over this year. They had a huge impact on, on, on the work they done. They had a huge amount of fundraising. They were, they were just brilliant people this year. Can Michelle I ask? Michelle is a physio. Yeah, sure, sure. Michelle is a physio and does a therapy clinic there. Yeah. yeah. So Michelle and Enda are both physios. So they were doing a lot of work with the special needs kids in the therapy room. And Michelle did, I remember seeing there was bake sales, there was everything yeah. on in Scarab as well. So yeah. I am very proud of her, yes. Can I ask, is there any plans to go further afield across the world with your fundraising and go to different parts of Africa as well and all that? It's a very good question, Tara, but no. And the reason not is every year we go back, we can see the services develop and expand. Mm. So if, if say, suppose I decided to go to another country next year, we spend the time there and we come home. I don't really know what happens once I leave. Yeah. So at least when I go back every year, I can see community build, mm. even though it's, it might be only a small dot in the ocean. But once you go back, you can see something develop and you can build on it. Because we can stand over the money that, that and goes. that's so there. important yeah. as well, is because quite often there are many charities that literally just helicopter in. They do one thing, they leave. They don't check to see if the actual projects continue on if it's been localised, that people locally can keep it going as well. So I think what's happening, that you can keep checking in on that is so important. And if people wanted to get involved in doing any more trips, how can they? Just get in contact with myself. And how can they do that? Or like, do you have a Facebook page or anything? Yeah, or just my, my website address, fitnessforfun.ie. All my contact details are on there. Or speak to Enda or Michelle. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. Oftentimes, good to speak to somebody who's already been there, get a first-hand experience. And can I ask, what do you see as the future of the work that you do with Uganda? The, the big challenges that are there, one is the population. It's just exploding. It's expanding at a, a huge rate. So at the moment, there's 50 million people there. Wow. By 20, 2050, it expects to go to 90 to 100. Wow. That's yeah. a huge challenge. Mm. The huge challenge then would be to, to prov- provide education for those people. And the education system is, is 
not, not great, no. Well, I don't know. I, like, what? It's not great, is it? It would probably it, depend on the rurality yeah. of it. Yeah, it's... The challenge our teachers aren't well paid. Mm. That's a big thing in Africa. So the teachers aren't well paid. A lot of teachers have to have a second job. Second problem they have is the state, a lot of the schools are poorly built. Third challenge then would be that classroom numbers are huge. So you've got 100 kids in a classroom. Wow, okay. 20 kids in a classroom. Right, right, okay. So you've only one teacher to that amount of children. So you don't have special needs. You don't have any extras. Um, and then a lot of kids going to school hungry. That's another consideration. And then a lot of the time you see so many kids in school, but then outside the school wall, the school boundary, you could have a whole lot more kids. So the huge amount of kids aren't getting to school. Yeah. So that's the single biggest challenge is getting kids into education. Yeah. And I think unless kids get educated, the country will struggle to lift itself from where it is. And do you ever work with any of the Ugandan diaspora that may, may be in Ireland or Europe at all? No. Mm, okay. No, no, I have a Ugandan friend here that's doing a PhD in UL, so it would be interesting okay. to actually like that for the long-term continuity of those programs as well as tapping into the diaspora. Uh, yeah. An option. No, we didn't. No. No. Um, so t- tell me, we- we'll move away from uh, the Uganda uh, trip for, for a minute. Um, you're, you run with the Clare Crusaders. How long are you with the Clare Crusaders? Clare Crusaders since about 2011, 2012. So we were just out this morning where we're, we were... I can see you have the shorts and everything on you there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not doing Dublin this year, but I was only supposed to do 12 miles, but I ended up doing 20. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were doing 20 miles this morning. Yeah. And so we're out at half six this morning. And um, what are the routes that you take? Is it in different places every week? What it is, we, we meet every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. It's near to the cathedral. And during the course of the year, it's six miles we do. But then from be, end of June onwards, then the miles increase because it's leading into Dublin. Sure. This week now there's 20 miles and then next week it drops and the following week it drops and then people go to Dublin. So this year I think there could be 50 to 70 people going to Dublin. And you have travelled to Dublin, of course, haven't you? Yeah, I've done Dublin, yeah. Dublin twice, yeah. yeah. And, and what was that experience like? It's a wonderful experience. Yeah. The first one is, is the best one to do. It's, got, it's the greatest experience because you're up there not knowing what's ahead of you yes, and yes, you get a time yes. but in a certain way the fun goes out of the following year because you're trying to beat the time you did the year before mm. so it's, it gets you get competitive with yeah, yourself yeah. you get yeah, competitive yeah, yeah. when you're looking at the watch but the atmosphere in Dublin is just fantastic and have you ever done any marathons outside of Ireland yeah Barcelona right wow. yeah so, any ambitions to do any more um, not at the minute because during the summer I'm gone away quite a bit mm. so it's hard to get training in then yeah. And, and speaking, you, re- you mentioned about training there. What, what is the training like? How can someone prepare for a marathon? What have you to do? Um, I think myself, it takes a good 12 months of training to prepare for a marathon. And it's, it's a good time commitment. It's a big time commitment. And I would certainly think anybody is thinking of to join with a group like the Clare Crusaders. Mm. It really, it's, it re- it's really challenging to do it on your own, mm-hmm. especially when it leads to doing extra miles. It's, and what we... We have a very good team of leaders. There's four leaders in the group. So the leaders plan out the route every week and the route is emailed. And then there's a team of people who are going out throughout the route leaving water. And there's a car leading the front. And there's a car at the back picking up people then who, want to, who don't want to complete the whole lot. And in this morning there was ice bats as well. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm even well, visualizing that. Oh, my God. Yeah. I hate that now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what's, what's, what's next for you? the future uh, I suppose it don't look too far in the future 
but hopefully Uganda will be on the horizon come the horizon, yeah. summertime as well. Yeah, and of course all volunteers are welcome indeed. Yeah, if there's any volunteers, we'd, we'd gladly speak to them. And are you likely to take a big group um, for your next trip or next year? No, dinner for keep the group kind of below 12. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a manageable number yeah. then. Yeah, 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 that's great. And do people still keep in touch that were, you know, that have gone on previous trips? Yeah, people, because we do a lot of fundraising, different runs. We hold a run in Bearfield every April. It's held by Frank and Landy from Sweet and Green and Ennis. They have a cafe in Ennis. Yes. And uh, they hold a run in the end of April. And volunteers, the past volunteers are fantastic. Yeah. Whether it be contributing financially, whether it be helping out for events, nice. fundraising yeah. events, all that. So they're really, really good. So all the past volunteers keep keep a very good link with, with the past. Like, nice. It's something that doesn't leave you, anybody that goes. No, well, congratulations. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously very well needed and no doubt you're helping many people do what you do and then giving people here a great opportunity to, I suppose, experience something different than they normally would that they will then contribute to probably for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So well yeah. done. Yeah. No, fantastic. I mean, you're a f- phenomenal achievement. And uh, I want to thank you very much, John, for coming here to Quinn live this morning. And uh, sure, we'll talk to you again. You're very welcome. And thanks for having me. You're thank listening you. to Saturday Chronicle on Scarif Bay Community Radio. We'll take a break and we'll talk to you in a bit.